Welcome to AntimatterPod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext and subspace, hosted by Annika and Liz. Today we're discussing the second episode of Star Trek Picard, The End is the Beginning. The end is the beginning. I feel like some stuff may almost have happened this episode. It's very exciting. <laughs> it was de- like these three episodes were one episode. I was, I heard, and I haven't listened to the official podcast, but apparently Alex Kurtzman was saying that they expanded the first two episodes into three at a fairly late stage. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah you can tell. Correct. Yeah. I noticed. <laughs> but, you know, but whatever. I, I feel like more Agnes is and, uh, and more Laris and Javan being on the vineyard happy. So, you know, that's okay. If that's what you're going to give yeah. me, go for I it. I would watch a whole series about Laris and Javan. Like, don't care about anything. Well, no, I care about many, many, many other things. But <laughs> I care about them a lot and I love them. But, yes, first on our list, and I put this in, even though it was the last thing in the episode, Romulanisters. My babies. Uh, Narek and Narissa definitely have a vibe. They have a vibe, and I'm super into it. <laughs> I'm just, just going to put that out there. People are going to turn off the podcast now, but nope. That's me. That's, that was a ship made for me. I Again, I feel like I said this on our shipping episode. I use ship very... You're not thinking they need a happily ever after. You just like watching them Correct. interact. Exactly. And th- I, they're, they're so wonderful. They, they love each other and hate each other and, and don't have anybody else and need each other. and are, It's just wonderful. And they're absolutely Romulanisters in, like, every sense. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, a little disquieting, but more more so that it's not really where you expect Star Trek to go than anywhere else. So uh, I'm really curious to see how that plays out and how much of this weird flirtatious thing between them is intentional and how much is just... (laughs) Just happened. You know, sometimes sometimes there's chemistry that isn't intended. Right, exactly. I mean, that's that's like the definition of all my ships, mm. I would say, is not really based in, in intention necessarily. But I have to admit that I watched this episode and I really enjoyed it. It had a great ending that I was expecting. It had an expecting ending, but I still fell for yes. it. Yes. You know, I was still like, I'm super into this going on the journey and I'm ready and and Picard back in you know where he should be but at the same time it went right into the promo and the like, <laughs> tiny moment of my Rami Lannisters she's like choking him or something <laughs> I was like <gasps> and that was all I could think about all day for the and like I went to work and I was just like oh yeah that was pretty amazing <laughs> I can't believe this exists in Star Trek. It's just so un-Star Trek in a... It's too soon to say good way, but in an interesting way. In a way made for me. Yeah, yeah. Whereas uh, things like Rafi smoking space weed and Chris at Rios's cigar, 
we were talking about this on Discord and I was saying, you know, I find it really odd when people smoke in Star Trek or do any kind of drugs other than alcohol because it just seems so contemporary. And yet, mm. at the same time, when I saw a guy going, oh, I don't like that smoking in Star Trek, that's not a good message. I was like, everyone spark up right now. <laughs> and, and, you know, we have precedent for anachronistic cigar smokers in, in Trek. We have beloved David Warner looking very beautiful in Star Trek V. And if that's the model for this series, then uh, go for it, I guess. I mean, first of all, and I said this in our Star Trek V episode, I've been pitching give Sinjin Talbot a <laughs> series for years. I have the receipts. And, and so the fact that this series has that dynamic of these people who used to be Starfleet but are now on the fringes of Starfleet and it's destroyed them and they're all have bad habits and are sort of angry mm. and have this shell around them, but are also like desperate for getting back to that do good atmosphere. Plus Robbie Lancers. <laughs> it's like, this is so good. This, this series is my, id. <laughs> this is, this is for me. Like This is what I've been waiting for. But I think that the smoking is being used as short. Oh, absolutely. And the reason that it doesn't, that it sticks out, I think, for me, is that I'm not used to that being the shorthand on a Star Trek. That's it, exactly. That, you know, when people are doing uh, fantastical Star Trek drugs, it's usually something in a hyperspray or, you know, something a little less literal than a, a space bong. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not being um, censorious about it. It just... It's, it's unfamiliar to me in this context. I like, I like it more with Rafi because she's living in the desert, mm. growing her own plants to smoke. Yeah, and she's not, sort of... she's not producing a lot of smoke. Like, I look at Rios and I'm like, you're in a spaceship? Think about your poor ship's air recyclers and all the people around yeah. you. Which there's a reason he only has holograms. <laughs> Everyone else complained about the secondhand smoke. Right. But I would. It's horrible. I, I, I wouldn't be able to be on that ship. My dad used to smoke pipes and cigars. So there's something very comforting about the smell of tobacco, but not when it's like stale. And I, I'm, I'm guessing it's the 24th century. It's almost the 25th. And they have like super fancy cigars where there's no yeah. trace and no nicotine and they're good for you. And they go into your body and restore all your cells and whatever. Or they're at least not going to kill you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, like synthahol. That's what synthahol is, right? So yeah, if they have fake alcohol, they're gonna have fake smoking too. Yeah, and you know, that's the future liberals want. <laughs> hey, I'm just saying. You know, judging from Picard's reaction, I'm guessing that even Rafi's snake weed is legal. <laughs> like, there's no, oh, you know, you could get in trouble for that. Yeah, it's more of. I mean, she comes off as. The kind of people who, again, live in a trailer in the desert and build their own, you know, grow their own weed and other things like yeah. echinacea and 
and valerium roots. You know, she's just being an herbalist in the desert. I don't think her lifestyle is that healthy. I think she is uh, <laughs> brewing her own beer and distilling her own liquor and real alcohol. Yeah, is what you're saying. Yeah, uh, and yeah, she, yeah. She doesn't seem to be in I a mean, good place, despite how amazing her place is. Dealing with many addictions. Which apparently Michelle Hurd discusses in the, car- the new episode of The Ready Room, but I can't see that yet because it's not up internationally. So I'm sorry. Oh, it's not your fault. I just haven't watched I, it. I'm, I... I'm also lazy and probably wouldn't have watched it in time anyway. I'm not super into those shows. It, I, I like the idea of getting more information, but it's sort of like I want the information to be what I want it to be. And if it's not, I think this, having heard that she talks about her addictions in it, I'm like, oh, I'm more into that. Mm. Maybe I'll, I will now go watch that episode. But I don't watch them. To, I don't need to peek behind the curtains. I just want to enjoy the story. Same. I like the only episode of After Trek I ever watched was, surprise, the one with Jane Brooke, where she talks about how she sees her relationship with Lorca and all of that. And sometimes it's interesting to get the perspective of the actor or the writer, but a lot of the time it's just, it's promotional, it's puff. But while we're on Michelle Hurd and Rafi, and specifically her performance, I have to say the physicality of her performance is amazing. I know! There was so much anger and grief and shame and self-loathing in just like the crook of her elbow or the angle of her knee and but it didn't look studied it felt so natural that was absolutely extraordinary right and she she was fidgeting even when she even when she was still in Starfleet there was like this fidgety energy to her that is just Rafi and then all of her addictions and her depression and her anger you know makes it you know turns the dial up and it it was it's just amazing they the similarities and differences between pre and post Rafi I was just like wow Michelle Hurd really cares and is is just putting so much into this role I don't know if she's a Star Trek fan she is maybe she says maybe so so like the impression that I got was she, this is like her, one of her dream jobs. Like she's always wanted to be on Star Trek. And so she is going to play it to the hilt and mm. be absolutely Patrick Stewart's equal, uh, equal in, and I'm just so amazed. That is her. basically it. She gave an interview a few weeks ago about growing up in a mixed race household. And Star Trek was one of the few, few things when she was a child with good roles for a black woman and you know that one single interracial kiss and it meant a lot to her and it still does and so this is sort of a dream job for her and I think she's absolutely killing it yes she is she's just like I'm gonna chew up the scenery just as much as you and I'm gonna actually steal this scene away from you so there and I think I think Stuart is like yeah cool you do that because (laughs) he's like Avery Brooks he lifts the actors around him Exactly. Yes. But so one thing that I love is that Rafi is so angry and she is so right to be angry with Picard. And I really like this show would be insufferable if it wholeheartedly bought into Picard's legend. Like I cringed in the first episode when Daj referred to the great man and to have 
all of these characters, all of these women calling him out on his ego and his selfishness and self-centeredness. And yeah, Picard is hugely intelligent and kind and compassionate, but he really does have an ego. And I think that's such a classic Greek tragedy type of flaw. And I love that it's addressed. And it, yeah. it's not just, oh, that's the price you pay for hanging out with a great man. We do see that he damages people. Yes. He damages them and he doesn't realize it until now. Yeah. I like the idea that Picard was so wrapped up in his own depression, his own reaction to not being in Starfleet anymore and to also not having, like, not seeing Starfleet as an ideal anymore, mm. that he doesn't reach out to his friends. Not, you know, Rafi straight up says, why didn't you talk to me when you just wanted to talk to me? Yeah, yeah. You know? and, and he, I don't think he meant to stop talking to her or, or any of the rest. He just... He didn't even realize he was doing it. He pulled so much so far into himself and just lived on his vineyard. And, you know, I, I was in my first photocap, I just kept saying his idyllic existence. Like, he just lost himself in that. That illusion and, of... Yeah, the, exactly. And, I, that, I mean, it explains why he's not... He's, like, no one else is on that, that vineyard other than his caretakers other than people who are literally tasked with making sure that he eats every day and, and who are also in their way damaged and who have chosen to retreat from their old life you know they are literally in exile they're in, and they're in hiding yeah it it all makes sense and i can just from picard's ex perspective he like he didn't realize that taking himself out of the world hurt a lot of other people too. He thought it was just hurting himself or saving himself from hurt. And he thought or that both. he was only hurting Starfleet, you know, and he didn't, he didn't expect them to accept his resignation. You know, he made an ultimatum that he wasn't prepared to follow through and that's always a mistake. <laughs> Which, a ridiculous, like one person? I, <laughs> I just... he is Jean-Luc Picard. He Ooh. was, you know, Rios listed off his resume. Yeah, and and his resume included hanging out with Spock, and the Spock did the same thing. Spock was like, "Hey, Starfleet, we should be doing this thing," and they said no. And he said, "Okay, I'm out." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> bouncing a Romulus by. Yeah. So it's 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 funny. It's like Picard should have learned this lesson, but of course he didn't because no one. No one learns it when it's them. No, no. And I think that's a great tragedy and it makes him a tragic and deeply flawed hero. But at the same time, my if I had to choose a side, I would be choosing Rafi's side because she's the one, you know, he made the ultimatum and she paid the price. Yeah. Which also, I mean, that I would be, I, for she, absolutely, she has all of the reason to be angry at everyone. I'm angry at Starfleet on her behalf way more than on Picard's or anyone else. Absolutely. Like, like I don't understand why they why they did that to her. I have to think that in gathering the information she used to propose an alternative rescue plan, she may have 
possibly bent the rules a little around her security clearance and they recognised that she was trouble and instead of taking that initiative and helping her use it to their to the advantage of Starfleet and the Federation and the Romulans, they were like, this is a dangerous, unstable element and we need to get rid of her. Well, and here's another reason why I don't belong in Starfleet. <laughs> it's, the, it's what I call the Rolaren principle. That's it. That's it. Starfleet is very bad at dealing with nonconformists, particularly because this is an American series of a particular time and place. Uh, <laughs> nonconformists who are not brilliant white men. Well, let's just put that aside and say you said in our in our notes for last week uh, uh, the class questions that this is bringing up, and they really they continue to bring them up. Yeah, and not really provide any answers, but they're interesting. No, like they're, but at least they're thinking about it. Like, I think we have to think at this point that the moneyless society of the Federation has been somewhat exaggerated. Like, I, I was watching the episode for the first time thinking, you know when Picard tells Lily, oh, my people don't, you know, material possessions are no longer a goal of ours. And I'm thinking, maybe it's just no longer a goal of yours because you've inherited everything. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Like, I do I think... I mean, again... Go. No, I went when Rafi pointed out that she's living in a trailer and he's living on literally an estate. Yeah. In South France, like he's it's it's let them eat cake yeah. on display. Yeah, and this is so interesting to me, and I really like. I have so many questions just from a world building view, and you can never. It's always a mistake to think too hard about the economics of the Federation, like. That is just straight up a mistake. But is Rafi living the way she is because she chose to? And I can very easily see that she is just, you know, she doesn't want to be around people. She has her trailer, which she owns, and maybe she moves it from place to place as her mood takes her. But, you know, I don't, I don't think there's poverty on Earth, but I think there are people who choose to... I don't want no saying someone chooses to be homeless is terrible in any context but I don't know it just doesn't make sense like someone is making the fancy cheese that Jaban brings when he's packing a lunch for Picard so do they not get paid for that labor well but I mean this this brings back to the opening scene of last episode those people were working on a holiday and not being paid for it yeah like in our in our current dystopian society, you get paid double for working on a holiday. <laughs> yeah, and yet these people are getting nothing. So it's just, it's real. It's it's one of those things where, because we live in the twenty first century and we have a supremely capitalist society, you know, I when we have these these presidential debates, mm. I'm not going to get into politics because I will scream. But we will all scream. They start talking about climate change and how much, how are you going to pay for your plan to combat climate change? And I always ask, what if we combat climate change and not worry about paying for it? What is the cost of not combating cli climate change? Like literally, what is the point of thinking about the cost of saving the planet? <laughs> that they, The cost of not saving the planet is not having a planet. 
Yeah, you know, this is obvious to me, but I don't own a mining company. So apparently in Australia, my thoughts don't count to the government. But yeah, it's just, I kind of just want to sit the showrunners down and go, tell me what you're thinking here is so that I understand the context you're working in. Right. It's very, I don't know. I'm glad that Hanele Culpepper is an executive producer. Mm. And has to have some say over something. You know, she was accepted into a PhD program, a, a, a PhD for economics, before she suddenly switched to directing. Like, she presumably has some idea here of where they're coming from. I just want to know. I mean, I guess I'm just saying that I look at Discovery and I look at Picard and they're both sort of trying to say something about race and gender and stuff like that. And Picard, despite being about Picard, is asking better questions, even if still not providing any answers. Yeah, but ironically, I feel like Picard has more incidental and unintentional sexism and racism and um, heteronormativity than Discovery. And I just wish I could smush these two aspects together and make them both better. Yes, I, I, and it's, it's funny, it's, I don't know, it's all, I, I, I keep wanting to be like, talk to each other, build off of these things together, and I understand why that's not how it works, I mean, and, and that's part of our capitalist society too, if mm. you can't, you can't take from one side and, and not give to the other, and it's, I, I don't know, but I just, I imagine this utopian world where we're all making Star Trek together, and it's better. Uh, yeah. Not that it, this isn't good, just... But it could be better. Like I, just, I don't want to sound like I'm complaining, because I'm actually very pleased with how this is going. Yeah, yeah. For all my whinges about the dialogue and the pacing, I am really engrossed in this story. And I ask myself, would I be so engrossed if I didn't care about this universe and if we weren't building on a character that I know and love? I don't know. Maybe not. But this is what we have, and this is how I feel. I mean... I gotta say, I mean, I don't know about the universe, because yeah, I'm going to like Star Trek more than something else just because it's Star Trek. Mm. But Picard is my least favorite character in this show. <laughs> like, straight up, I love everyone else more. And I don't dislike or not love Picard. I'm just like... You just love everyone else All of these so other much. people are so amazing that I... I am. I just need more of them immediately. And you know, this is what we wanted. We wanted a show with new characters to fall in love with. Hello. I started listing off. You know, I I love, and I was like, I love every Romulan mm -hmm. and Agnes uh, and Rafi, and I just I and then and Rios and Rios's holograms. <laughs> I just listed like everyone in the show, <laughs> and Hugh and Soji. <laughs> It was just, it was, and, and then I, except for Card, I didn't listen to Card, <laughs> but it, because that was sort of implied, mm. but it, I was just like, basically, you know, TLDR, everyone. Can I? I love everyone. Can I make a confession? Sure. I love confessions. <laughs> this is my reaction to Rios. <laughs> Man pain. Okay. That's fair. But, counterpoint. <laughs> Go. When he is preparing his ship, mm. and he hears Agnes say, 
I just killed someone for you yeah. over the hollow, over the combat. And he sort of gets this look on his face, like, I love you. Yeah, okay. Having no other information <laughs> about this voice. <laughs> and I was just like, I ship that so hard, and I just want them to be happy. <laughs> That's all I want out of this show, is for mm. those two to make it. So... Like, before he appeared, I read a summary of his character, and it was like, pilot, past, angst, he's a loner, and he doesn't like to talk about it. And I was like, this is so generic. This is Han Solo, this is Tom Paris, this is Poe Dameron. It's just, it's not a character type I find interesting. And that was my reaction for most of this episode, too. But then I realized in the shower this morning, where I have all my best Star Trek thoughts, this is how I felt about the title character of The Mandalorian at the beginning of that series, and now I love him. So Chris Rios needs a baby Yoda, and failing that, I think Agnes will do fine. And I do think that you know he is a type of character that I care about more when I see him caring about other people. Definitely. I like him for the fact that he ha owns a ship mm. and runs it with holograms of himself like the and sheer ego like, literally talks to himself to as like a pep talk like that's mm. it, it's sort of a guys balter thing going on and i am a huge fan of guys <laughs> balter so i'm into it i'm into the ideas of he's i i hated picard saying you are a starfleet to your bones yes yeah, like, yeah that was that was i you know me. I was I was like, nope, yeah, no, yeah. wrong, stop. Goodbye. Bad. That actually reminded me of, that. of all the times Lorca told Michael something about herself that was, in fact, completely incorrect. Like, you're just dealing with the idea you have of this person in your head. And Picard should right. not be reminding me of Lorca. Well, but Picard has these this weird ego things. And he, like, he was like, I'm going to give this great speech about Starfleet. Which, by the way, I'm angry with and have been for over a decade. But I'm going to convince you that we should be new Starfleet. Like, we are what's, we are the real Starfleet. And I'm just so super against the real Starfleet. I just, if, I, if I never hear that again, I will be happy. But the, it's just a constant. It's it continuously being used in these shows. And yeah. I... No. It's it's shorthand for an ideal, and we're left to infer what the ideal is because Alex Kurtzman and Akiva Goldsman haven't actually told us. So, yeah, this is this is your old complaint again. Uh, I have another Rios confession to make, and this one is really embarrassing, but I promise not to make noises, uh, except okay. for speaking. I have a bit of face blindness, and I had to be told that it was the same actor for all of them. That the all the holograms were Rios. Well, that sort of means he did a good job. Did he though? Like <laughs> they all look like him. I can see that now. For the record, I also can't tell if my boss's twin daughters are identical or not. And at this point, I'm embarrassed to ask. <laughs> I mean, I had I looked it up to make sure that they were. <laughs> okay, I feel better now. So, because I was like, oh, those are definitely, that's definitely the actor playing, and that, and I liked it a lot, and then I was like, what if I'm wrong? <laughs> what if, 
what what if I'm being racist? <laughs> like I just I got really freaked out and I had to make sure. <laughs> so I I mean they definitely styled everybody different and they spoke differently. They had different mannerisms. Like it, it, he it was a performance. Yeah, yeah. Uh... But I I mean there's like okay this is like way out of left field. But there's this comic book. Go on. A mar a Marvel one shot about Pepper Potts. Yes. And she imagines her dead ex lover coming to give her a pep talk and like they box together and I wrote this essay you know like a a love letter to this comic book because it was actually Pepper Potts giving herself that pep talk right and I was just I was like this is so wonderful because everything that this this imaginary character is saying is actually Pepper saying it to herself mm. and that's wonderful that's like psychologically intriguing and means that she's a super strong person who can do that for herself yeah yeah so this idea of Rios having these little bits of himself that do that take care of him that that argue with him, that tell him what he needs to hear. It's like, that's intriguing to me. Right, because... His whole angsty backstory of his missing ship and all the terrible things that Starfleet made him do, super not into that. Uh, I want to know why Starfleet has erased yet another ship from the record, because why do they keep doing that, and could they stop? Starfleet is is a horrible organization that is bad for the universe is is, that's that's what i get out of star trek now these days but i don't want that to be the case i know but that's what i'm saying that's why i hate every time they say you are starfleet because everything we see on screen is that starfleet is horrible no but they they need to try to be better I, i just anyway yes i think when rios gets his baby yoda or Agnes. <laughs> I, see, my thing with Agnes okay. is she took one look at Rafi and fell in love, and I am totally on board with that. So I agree with that too. And Rafi wasn't disinterested. No, <laughs> I, no. I, she could definitely be convinced. And, and like I've been complaining about the lack of queerness in this show because there's been a lot of heterosexuality. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I do enjoy het more than anything else. But that doesn't mean that we live in a world without queer people. And I would really love if what we were getting was like basically a Star Trek romance, but between women. Like mm. even with Hugh and, and Paul, you know, that was an established relationship. Right. Yeah. So for no one to die and for <laughs> some queer characters no and... All my... Yes. I feel like my my mostest favorite characters are the most likely to die at this point, and I'm pretty sad about it. The Romulans, the Romulans, yeah, they are, and Agnes. I <laughs> the ones I'm worried most worried about. I feel like Agnes is probably okay because, on the one hand, her death would be a terrible, terrible tragedy. You know, she's a civilian, she's young, she's idealistic, she's a cinnamon roll, but right at this point, I don't see any. Like, her death would not service the plot yet. 
Which, but it would service a lot of man pain. Yes. Like and a lot. as we recall from Cat, character death need not service plot in this particular <laughs> era of Star Trek. <laughs> so, like, I'm not saying that she's safe, but I am not worried about her yet. Whereas... Also, Laris and Javan. The, the only thing keeping them alive right now is the fact that they're not on the ship. Yeah. And the fact that they're not on the ship is making me the most worried. <laughs> I, I think that they've demonstrated an ability to handle themselves but my heart was in my mouth for that that fight because it was a really visceral fight and I had assumed that Laris in hand-to-hand combat would be like Jojo like she is a trained spy from a terrifying totalitarian state but she (laughs) you know she was outmatched she was scared she was um, mm. reacting like a person, basically, and not a Terminator, which is really cool and tells us a lot about her experiences and her character and her life the last few years. But at the mm. same time, she was very vulnerable and I don't want anything to happen to her. Shaban, mm. I yes. can live without Shaban. Like, I like him okay, but I feel like Laris is the more interesting of the pair. I, know, I, th- I think that's fair. Shaban is interesting in his relationship with Laris. Exactly. N- not by himself. Exactly. He's the the muscle and the one they send on shopping trips. But my Romulans are the ones who are like being set up to die at this point, and I'm not here for it. I feel like Narek may survive, but I'm not holding out hope for Nerissa. No. No. And and I'm concerned for for Commodore O. Yes, I, I'm I, Commodore O. Is super interesting. I, I love her I quite a lot. I really want her to be a Vulcan. Same. She she could go so many different ways. I like part of me is almost like, what if she's a Vulcan who joined the Romulans in order to spy on the Romulans, and she's pretending to be and, and so and, the, and I went my my brain went to many places and I was like and that would mean that Nerissa and Narek aren't evil <laughs> just being manipulated by Vulcan extremists <laughs> I was sort of like whoa what do you know and and th- yeah, those, that's the twist that the twist that I want is that my my beloved we are super evil trio are actually good <laughs> I'm not going that far but I feel like Commodore <laughs> O is you know, my one of the great missed opportunities of season two of Discovery for me was that we never learned anything about Admiral Patar. She was dead, and that that was it. And so I feel like Commodore O was a bit of a do-over. You know, mm. morally ambiguous Vulcan spymaster. But one of the reasons I'm worried about Agnes is that it really, to me, it reads as Commodore O is brainwashing Agnes and Agnes is an unwitting spy for the evil secret secret Romulans. I fear you may be correct because someone on Reddit pointed out that there was a shot in one of the the series trailers where someone is mind melding with Agnes and it looks like the same outdoor setting as that uh, Okinawa cliffside. So fingers crossed. But in good news, mind melding suggests Vulcan. That's true. So, you know, I'm kind of I'm kind of into this and I just hope that nothing bad happens to Agnes as a result. And, you know, you were saying what if she, what if she has to die as as punishment for whatever she does as Well, well, brainwashed. That was just so, someone brought that someone said that. Someone was like, "I can see this as being in order to quote unquote redeem Agnes for 
the terrible things that she's going to do as Commodore O's Patsy would be sacrificing herself to save Picard. Like, literally Picard. And I was just like, that is that is my nightmare. I never want to, like, I'm upset that I read those words. <laughs> Everything about it is wrong. It's like pre-fridging. But my reaction to that is honestly the same thing I said to you when you shared this in the Discord, which is if Ash Tyler didn't have to die at, to make up for literally killing Hugh, then Agnes is fine. She doesn't even have to well, apologize for anything. She probably will because she seems that kind, like that kind of person. But Ash Tyler is a boy. I know. But also, and, and the reason, that, like, I will be honest, the reason this is hitting me so hard is because I'm not over Ben Solo dying. And, like, Ben Solo living would have fixed... So much. Star Wars for me. And I love Star Wars, so I don't think it needs to be fixed. But I thought that... I thought that now it needs to be fixed. <laughs> because the narrative that I was following is not what that movie gave me. And so... And, and it just, you know, comes back onto me. And so, you know... I am that that person who's like, you know what? Narratively, Cersei Lannister should have lived in order for this story to continue. No, I agree. That's, what, and I that's think... where that story was going. And so I'm just like, the fact that anyone for even two seconds imagined that Agnes, a cinnamon roll, had to sacrifice herself in order to make up for some ridiculous, imagined evil that she has perpetrated... And save Picard because, again, he's a paragon of good. Mm. The ideal that Starfleet must aspire to is just gross to me in every level. I just cannot handle, like, I don't, I don't want that narrative to exist anymore. I am very much not into women dying to, to make up. To, or to make up for anything or for man pain. And also, I'm just, I'm really over redemption via death i think that is lazy storytelling and i think you know i could i can see narek being redeemed like i think he's very much being set up for redemption oh, kylo romulan absolutely kylo romulan yeah and i i think that if he sacrificed himself for soji that would make sense but it wouldn't be good right wait he it that do, then we don't we don't learn anything. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't learn anything, Soji doesn't learn anything, and the audience doesn't learn anything. That story just ends, and it what we, what we learn, what those stories teach us, is that the only way to make up for your past mistakes is to die. Right. And so why, why bother making up for your past mistakes? Just stay evil. Right, right. And it's... It's really hard to tell a good redemption story, and I, if that's what they're doing with Narek, then you know my jury, jury is still out because I don't love him as much as you do. But I, I think it, it's it's not you know. I do go. I have a question. Go. That it, that is related. How much time has gone by? I am so that I said this in Disco too. I am so confused about the timeline in this entire because it seems like Picard's side of the story it's been like three days yeah but the Narek and Soji side of the story it feels like it should be at least a month or two 
<laughs> and so I'm very confused about what's going on. How did Nerissa get to the Borg cube from Earth in like two seconds? Maybe Janeway kept the, the keys to the transwarp conduits? Why Why is Narek expressing his love if they've been together for like a day? That, I just, I don't understand what's going on. That was going to be my complaint because this is all moving very, very fast. Like, does he think that's what human girls are into? Right. It's And she's not, like, he knows she's not human. It's just, nothing makes sense. I still believe that... And it's, I mean, the show is, is telling me this. Mm. What is being presented on screen is Narek is falling in love with this girl. Like, that's, because they, she said, don't fall in love. And it's like, oh, if you, if you order someone to not do something, that's what they do. Yes, that's, that's, that's how, how it works. That's how it works. And so this, he's being set up to being in love, you know, she's his escape. She's his way out of this sort of creepy existence that he has <laughs> as a spy where the only person he can trust and and love is his sister who is overbearing and strange. Yes. And, and so, like, and that's a story I'm super into. But it's but going so fast. Like, yeah, they're really compressing it, and it's like, wait, no, this, this, there's supposed to be a build-up here. This is, this, you can't just, dis, like, tropes aren't, again, it's shorthand. They're just using storytelling that we, they're, they're expecting us to follow along with the story instead of actually giving us the story. Yes, and it's not as bad as, like, I watched the first episode of The Witcher and I didn't really like it and I probably won't go on with the series, but that was how I felt watching it, that they are relying on a familiarity with the character and the relationships that the audience doesn't have. Unless, I guess, they've read the books or played the game, but I haven't. I only know there's a meme or something, some kind of song. But, yeah, I think Picard is doing that less, but it's still... I... I say I don't like Narek. It's more that I don't find his relationship with Soji interesting yet. I don't think it is interesting no. yet because it's just being presented to us. It's just like, oh, look at these cuties who are expressing their feelings towards each other and, and in bed. Like, it's, I don't know. There, there's, no, there's no slow burn. Mm. <laughs> there's not even a fast burn. It's just sort of like, ha, we're, we're in bed. And now we're in love. Yeah. And, it's very, uh, like, almost obligatory. Whereas, you know, we don't need that much to ship people. Look at our feelings about Agnes and Rios or Rafi, or both. Ooh, both. So, <laughs> you know, give us some of that. I just want to see them hanging out and I don't need yeah, it's, the, the fraught. It's, <laughs> I think I'm in love with you. It's just... It's just, it's so funny because I, right, I ship everything that's not supposed, that I'm not supposed to, <laughs> and the things that I am, I'm like, well, it's okay, I guess. Uh, I, I mean, I don't, I don't want Narek to have better chemistry with his sister, <laughs> but he does. <laughs> yeah, it's like, maybe it'll get better and maybe there's something that we're yet to see. 
but I am far, far more interested in Soji's actual job with the Borg and the Nameless and whatever she's programmed to find out about the submatrix collapse of this Borg cube. That is really cool. Yes. Incidentally, uh, I saw, I think it was tweeted at Trekcore and they retweeted it. Uh, it's a blink and you'll miss it, but when Soji asks about the submatrix collapse, her Borg alert light flashes green. Her, her little really? badge. Yeah. Ooh. Those badges. They are strange. <laughs> like, they're just foreshadowing badges, which, which is great, but I'm kind of like, I can't wait till they go off, but I really hope they don't kill that nice Trill lady. She has a, a really amazing name that I yeah, cannot no, take. Me it's really long and really, and I don't know what it is, but she's cool. Yes. Uh, and, and her name is cool. <laughs> it involves multiple accents. It's really. Yeah. Like, well done on imaginative alien naming. Uh, please give us more of her and don't kill her. Uh, I meant to say all of that last week, but yeah, the badge flashes green and there was something else, something else that I can't remember now. Something to do with O, I want to say. Oh, I'm sure it'll come back to me. But yeah, the, the, the Easter eggs and the subtle details are really intriguing. And if they, want yes. to, if they want to bring out merch that's like Borg alert badges that flash green sometimes <laughs> or have a little green light that you can switch off, that would be cool. It would be, it would be kind of amazing if they, if they were random, if it was randomized flashing. <gasps> Call us fansets. Like, that would be so good if you're just wandering around convention and it's like, <laughs> it goes off. It's like, oh, Borg. Speaking of Romulans and the Romulan Cube, and we're going to get to Hugh in a second. Oh, yes. But they, what are they, what are they called? The Forgotten? The, the Nameless? The, some, oh, no, the Disordered. No, not the Nameless. The, the Disordered. Yes. The Disordered. All of the Disordered are Romulan. Yes. And they're the only Romulans that were ever assimilated or something like that. Yeah, and I don't buy that I myself, need way but... more information about all of this. <laughs> like, I just... They are definitely leaning into the, we're trying to draw a connection between the Borg and the Romulans, and I still don't want to go there or like it or think it's good, true, it's or good, but it's, I, it's a I get, thing I, and it's I, happening. I see the blocks. <laughs> I, I understand what's going on here. I understand why people are curious. Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess that the Borger, the fact that the Borger sort of gone is also strange. Like, I don't know. There's a lot of weird Borg stuff going on and there's a lot of weird Romulan stuff going on. I know. And I love but... it all, but I'm so curious and I so hope that we don't like, oh, the Romulans created the Borg because that is stupid. Like <laughs> the very first foreshadowing of the Borg is when they're destroying Romulan's outposts along the neutral zone. I've only Why? I've only seen that episode once in my life, but I remember that. Right, right, exactly. And 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 it's it's sort of like I'm vaguely intrigued and excited and interesting interested for that fact to be important. Yes. Like I like the idea of going back to something that is almost the throwaway comment 
in the like the last episode of the first season of Next Generation. Yeah. You know, it's like it's not anything that you ever expected them to go back to. And so it's like, ooh, if you're building off of that, that is a cool idea. I like I like the idea of that. But I don't want it to be that there's some inextricable relationship between the Borg and the Romulans. That that's it exactly. And I feel like calling back to that episode would be really cool because it's such a small thing and, and, and it's not just blatant fan service like for example bringing back the conspiracy bugs from the episode before it but mm. which a lot of people are calling for and like I love conspiracy I think it's a great episode I think it's a profound missed opportunity for Star Trek but I also think we could leave it in the past <laughs> uh, but yeah I loved everything we learned about Romulan culture this this week from their pointy tarot cards to their secret <gasps> doors and I was... To their mythology! Yeah! She doesn't like that word. And, oh, oh, yeah, she doesn't like that mm. word, mm. which is great, but first, and I keep saying, we're gonna get to that, but I have to say that Soji's research interests are also my <laughs> research interests! I was like, Whoa, Soji is like literally doing me right now. That is what I want to study. Like that that is what I do. That's... That I like I can link to my papers and it is literally how can we use pop culture references which are modern mythology to address our trauma. Like that's that's my thing. I had hypothesized and, that she was a psychiatrist or psychologist, and I think it's a little, almost a little strange that she's an anthropologist instead. But at the same time, the intersection of anthropology and therapy is really interesting. And I think, I think I talked about this. You know who else is an anthropologist? Michael Burnham. Anyway, hmm. uh, I think anthropology is an interesting field because it has very often been used to other people and to study them as objects rather than people and right. so integrating it and that cultural knowledge with therapy is really intriguing to me and you know i, I would enjoy a whole series about just um you know giving therapy to ex-borgs so I took one anthropology course for my master's program mm -hmm. and it was, it was on sexuality and, and families and, and, but I mean, it was on sexuality, but what I ended up writing for my final paper was an exploration of sitcom family groupings. Oh yeah. And you know, from the beavers to you know I, I don't even know what their real names are uh which is when they created the idea of the traditional you know, traditional family values you know yes a traditional family it was created for television in the 1950s it's it's super interesting so it's like the fact that soji wants to use storytelling to address society it's like that's what i wrote about in my <laughs> anthropology class so it's just like wow i so yeah i'm super into soji's research and i want to know everything about that yes and 
I really like that Hugh was, you know, he was sort of like, yeah, you're you're a, a super eager human girl who wants to study the Borg. That's cool. That's nice. But when he saw her be compassionate in a in his particular way, he became more interested in her. And then she like told him her her plans and her stories, and it was like, yeah, yeah, okay, I get this. We're gonna we're gonna try that out. And so I li- I liked that sort of dynamic. Yes. Of, Maybe that's a good idea. And because it's sort of, like, he was sort of saved by stories. You know, he didn't know anything. No. About anything. And Jordy and Beverly, and, like, they were like, this is this is what a doctor is. This is what a family is. This is what a friend is. This is what, you know, and, and they used those ideas. And that's what a story is, right? Right, right. To, to, to bring him out of his shell. And so I can see how... 30 years later, it'd be like, oh, yeah, that's actually a good idea. Like, that is helpful to these people who've lost their identity. Mm, I'm, you know, reminding them of their fiction. I am very intrigued. Uh, can I just say that if I went through some sort of major traumatic event like being assimilated, uh, being reminded that Star Trek exists probably would really help me come back to myself. But I was very intrigued by how Hugh is just there and there's no fanfare and there's not a big thing to tell us who he is and why he's significant. Like, my flatmate didn't recognise him. And he's mm. very different now. You know, Jonathan he's Del Arco. very different. She's like, he's so big. Hugh, when he was the next <laughs> gen, he was such a small person. And I'm like, he's also very hot. Uh, anyway. <laughs> um you know, he's only re- referred to by name once. So if you did not... Once, yeah, in passing. Yeah, right. yeah. And if you didn't know who he was or hadn't followed the, the pre-show promo, he'd just be a guy. And, and in that sense, it, it's quite interesting to me how, how changed he is since Next Gen. This sounds silly, but he was so human. Yeah. He was, he was very warm. He was very commanding. It was like there there was nothing borgy about him and I liked that. I liked that it was sort of he had really reclaimed and created himself. He did. And so now he was going he was an example for all the rest. Yes. Even you know Soji cuz she's she doesn't know yet but she is going to have to reclaim herself too and build her own identity that is separate from the one that she was told and given. Yeah, and that the story thing works there too because Data, you know, he consumed and created art and he sought to understand humanity by performing Shakespeare, which is sort of part of our created mythology. We hate that word. But Soji really follows in Data's footsteps in terms of her compassion and curiosity and her respect for storytelling. Yes. And I think she should get a cat. We've also, everybody should get a cat. Yes. We've also gotten multiple characters holding books. Yeah. (laughs) You know, very prominently to say, this is something about me that you need Mm. to understand, Mm. which is, it's funny because that's something that certainly we've seen with Picard on more than one occasion. Picard likes to quote Shakespeare. Picard likes to quote you know, Moby Dick. Picard mm. likes to, to throw out his intellectual prowess, right? Right. He likes to take 
ostentatiously large, boring books on vacation. I love that he, and this is not not this episode, but the last episode, that he doesn't get sci-fi, but he still collects it. Honestly, it made me wonder if that was something Data had given him, because Asimov seems like something Data would have consumed and might mean Mm. something to him. I read a lot of Mm. Asimov as a 13-year-old, and I have this dim memory that he was the one who coined the term positronic. Like, there is some direct link between Asimov's ideas and Data that I can't recall right now. So that's my headcanon, that this book was a gift from Data. I mean, all of the... The robot laws. Yeah, it's very, it's very like data is that kind of robot, right? Yeah, yeah. Whereas the synths and all of them, that you know, they were used against their programming in a way. Like that's that's the implication. The synths wouldn't have done what they did without someone pulling their strings. And that's sort of a recurring thing in Asimov that. Uh, if a human overrides a robot's programming and they violate the laws of robotics, that's on the human. The robot is blameless. Exactly. And so I'm assuming that that's why this book is in the show. Yeah. But it's also to tell us something about Agnes. Yes, that she knows the, the literary roots of her profession. And then Rios has his... The uh, tragic sense of life that he not only is reading like throughout the episode. Whenever we see mm. Rios, he's reading that book, and he even name checks it as like a as a he explains himself as yeah, that's my tragic sense of life, and it's sort of like okay, mm. that's that's your thing. I get you. It kind of made me go, okay, you're a book guy. We know. Stop showing off. Like I feel like he'd go on a date and interrogate his date about what she's reading, and if it was some sort of popular or genre fiction, he'd be very dismissive. But, but to be honest, mm. that also describes Picard. Absolutely, and I would enjoy watching Rios try to say genre shame at Agnes because I think that would be entertaining and funny, and he'd learn something. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, I mean, again, it sort of points to the fact that this series was created by an author yes. of books, and, a book author, a literaturist. And, and possibly because... one who has not read much modern science fiction. Because <laughs> so far we're not doing anything new with any of the AI concepts. Yes. Like. And, and, but it's just, it's, 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 it's amu- on, a, on a meta level, it's amusing to me that they're using visuals of books mm. to tell us something about the characters it's it's like there's this weird we're watching a television series in which the characters are being sort of snooty about television series <laughs> because they're not watching movies they're not watching will smith they're they're reading asimov well that's always been a thing in star trek hasn't it they're like oh television died out in the early 21st century which i assume yeah, unless looking... you're tom paris yes well i assume looking back that they mean television in terms of broadcast television died out and streaming is alive and well but we know so little about the popular culture of the federation because no one really wants to watch science fiction about people consuming science fiction on which note, everyone should read the Murderbot Diaries by Martha Wells. They're great. Uh, speaking of AI and popular culture consumption. Uh, yes. Yes. Uh, which I don't think Shabon has read, but he should. I had a point. I forgot it. I'm sure it was great. 
I don't want to say anything negative about anyone, but... You're a very good person that way. I don't like being told the thing I'm consuming is lesser. <laughs> that, yeah. So, I wish they would stop doing that. Yes, and this goes back to next gen which was very much a show that looks down on its audience in the first couple of seasons which is where that line happened uh but yeah i think i think we can move on i don't think they're necessarily saying that television is lesser but it tells us a lot about the characters and the fact that they're not reading ebooks like i realize that it's much harder to like indicate the title someone's reading if if they're running around with a pad or something but it's it's very prominent and weird like Michael Burnham has her Alice in Wonderland but Tilly has never seen a real book before at least the Alice in Wonderland was clearly a postmodern edition like it made it would look like it was made out of plastic or something like it was it was these books are like older than the books I own (laughs) (laughs) and so I just which again is fitting for Picard but like wouldn't Rios like, why wouldn't yeah, he buy exactly. or replicate a new edition? Right. He, Rios is flying a ship that doesn't have a physical console. But his book is a book. Yeah. And that certainly <laughs> tells us something weird. about him. And it's interesting. But is that a choice they made because they wanted to tell us about Rios? Or is it a choice they made because that was the default, the default it thing? Was the, it, it was, I think it was the, it was the, set, the, the latter. Mm. And I... Rios as a proto-existentialist sad boy. <laughs> there's, a, there's our okay. episode title. <laughs> just, that, I'm just saying that's what that book tells me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, Rios on a date. I, I can just see it. But I would also enjoy watching an episode of the La Serena, uh book club. What do we think Soji reads? <laughs> okay, so... There was this amazing, in the early seasons of Voyager, they had a poster that they sent to libraries. I remember it. And it was it. supposed to get people to read more. And it was my favorite tie-in thing for any Star Trek ever. It was like, I, you know, Picardilly circle is cute and all, but this poster of the Voyager character's holding a book that was related to their character was the best thing that was ever made. And I love it. And so I am not opposed to using books to tell us something about characters. I actually love it. I just think that in the context of the series, as opposed to the context externally, external to the series, it's a little, it's a little gimmicky. That puts it very nicely, and this is so self-consciously a show written by not just a novelist, but a literary novelist, and I know that apparently his name is pronounced Shabon, not Chabon, so I was completely off when I said that Jaban was clearly his self-insert, and for that I apologise. I still believe it. Anyway, uh, I know that Chabon has uh, written sort of 
books that meld the literary with the genre, but I think you can see his literary background in the leisurely pacing and the slightly overcooked dialogue. And, you know, a genre novel needs to be really plot, plot, plot. And mm, mm. Uh, a literary novel has more scope to let characters sit and think about their feelings and both of these approaches are valid i'm not saying that literary fiction is bad but his lack of familiarity with the structure of genre is showing and particularly the television structure but also like i i think you know novelist 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 these people read important books uh (laughs) I choose to believe that Soji is a very big fan of Anne Leckie and uh, the uh, Imperial Raj books which deal with personhood and AI and space opera and broken people finding their way home and Mm -hmm. for fun she reads the Murderbot Diaries because who doesn't love a homicidal AI who's obsessed with dramas? Fictional dramas, (laughs) I should say. And those are very, those are both deliberately current contemporary choices. Yes, in your face, Shabon. Which, 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 I mean, that's that's the, that's the other thing is that they're always reading these books that are old now. Yes, and the, you know, so it's like, what? Why can't they read the Hunger Games? You know, like, why? Why do we have to imagine? Why do we have to prove that something is good enough because it's been around for a hundred years instead of just saying, this is good enough because we're in twenty twenty and. Who cares? That's the thing. That's the thing. And it is hard to look at contemporary literature and sort of guess what will be around in 400 years. But maybe give it a go. But maybe it doesn't matter. Right. Like, no one, I, like, 500 years from now, when people find our Star Trek and look at it in order to understand how we were in the year 2020... They're not going to be picking at what we chose our characters to read. Like, that's, that's, it's just not a thing. Right. And it, it's, it's, it doesn't matter. It's like the use of 90s rap music in Discovery, which was really effective. And I, I know some people were complaining because either it's rap and that's bad or it was too contemporary. But it was an inspired choice. It was relevant to the story. It told us something about the setting. They managed to use disco beats in disco. That was brilliant and it was brave. And these choices so far are not brave. And Asimov is so important to science fiction and to robot stories, but he was also a serial predator and a a man who really delighted in groping and assaulting women. So did, was he the person we had to choose for this prop? And if you're going to choose, I, I mean, I, I guess I should be happy that they chose a non-American or a non-Western yes, yes. person for, like, it's like, I guess I should should count my blessings. But the, the, the rap thing is, like, that's, a, that's a, a really good point because, you know, up until that point, it's sort of like, all music past Mozart and Gilbert and Sullivan does is irrelevant. And it's like, no, it's not. Yeah. At very most you get Riker's jazz and the smooth background jazz that plays when someone's trying to seduce someone. I don't know. I just, I just, even, even Tom Paris's pulpy Captain Planet stuff is 
sort of this yesteryear, mm. you know, it, it's like my Leave it to Beaver. It's like, we can leave that in the 50s. It wasn't ever true to begin with, so. And likewise with uh, all of Julian Bashir's stuff and Our Man Bashir, which I'm an outlier, I don't like that episode, and all, the whole Vic Fontaine thing. Like, oh, God, the Vic Fontaine thing. Like, uh, I really, I don't know. I'm uh, sorry. No. I don't want to, but I don't. No. Look. Nope. I wholeheartedly agree with you there. I just think Star Trek should be braver in its interactions with other pop culture. And I realise that you probably can't be so on the nose as to reference, for example, Battlestar Galactica. But, you know, think about it. Think beyond the obvious. Think beyond the obvious. Yeah. Okay. I think I think that's us. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I didn't mean to go on a rant about, like... <laughs> I don't know why. Why aren't the things I read in Star Trek? I just, that's not that's not what I meant to uh, to come across. I just think that highbrow isn't the only reality. Yes, and just because it's old pop sci-fi doesn't mean that new pop sci-fi isn't equally relevant. Right. Okay. <clears throat> Thank you for listening to Antimatter Pod. You can find our show notes at antimatterpod.tumblr.com, including links to our social media and credits for our theme music. You can also follow us on Twitter at, at @antimatterpod. Sometimes we post cat pictures and questions for our audience. If you like us, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume your podcasts. The more reviews, the easier it is for new listeners to find us. And join us next week for episode four of star trek oh, Card. <laughs> absolute candor sorry i should have updated that uh, I absolute was... candor is a very interesting title it's i expect there to is. be a lot of lying well apparently i think this is the episode that introduces my romulan son so fingers crossed but i was going to say we should after this episode goes up ask people on twitter whatever what books they think the characters would be reading <sighs> yes Excellent, excellent question. I look forward to all of the answers. Uh, so I'm just going to leave this in the audio. So if we forget to post that question, you guys can tell us anyway. And also give yourselves a pat on the back for listening this far. 